Welcome to the Out of the Ordinary Podcast. I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And I'm Christy Purifoy. Some of my favorite ordinary things are homegrown flowers, strawberry jam, and old books with someone else's notes in them. And some of mine are hot tea, always with milk and sugar, a good movie, my mom's hand-me-down books, and Sunday afternoon naps. This is the podcast where we believe that the best stories grow out of ordinary life. Get comfy. Here we go. Lisa Joe, I have been reading reviews this week yes. that listeners have left on um, especially iTunes and other apps. And the thing I'm really enjoying ab- uh, about reading them is that these are not like the kinds of typical product reviews I tend to see on, let's say, Amazon or, you know, various <laughs> yes. places where it's like to the point and, you know, these people are clearly reviewing a product. These are like mini stories. I know. It's my new favorite thing. <laughs> Listeners are sharing their stories with us. Yeah. So I, and, and I think I love it because they're now participating in some of the conversations right. we've been having. Like our stories are sparking a response. And so we get little peeks into their stories and it's just so wonderful. And these stories are really meaningful for me. So here, here's one recent review that was left. And uh, the little headline says, like a deep breath of fresh farm air, which actually I have to stop right there. <laughs> I thought they could only smell how bad it is. You know what I'm going to say, don't you? Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, the fresh farm air around here is not always so, well, it's very fresh, let's just yes, say. Fresh as mushroom farms and compost. Yes, yes. But still, good air. Okay, so this is what Lena Fitlife has left for us, her little story. She says, I am an avid podcast listener. In my podcast feed, there are are many business, entrepreneur, efficiency, typology podcasts. I thrive on efficiency, productivity, reaching goals in all spheres of my life, including family. And then once a week, when your podcast comes out, I take a sip of rest, calmness, my significance in God, ordinary farm life that I don't have. Lisa Joe and Christy are so good at bringing me back to appreciating the ordinary moments in my life, even if they're not on the farm, even if they're not in the highlight reel on Instagram. My soul craves simplicity and rest, and your podcast is there to remind me to pull up a chair, sit, and simply sip the tea and listen to God. There is nothing else required of me to be loved by God." I have goosebumps, oh actually. <laughs> I feel like she just gave me a hug. <laughs> right, right. Isn't that beautiful? Yes. Oh, I'm so glad that gives her that feeling. I was a little nervous when I first heard you reading that about productivity and goal setting. And I thought, oh, no, we are the exact opposite of that. Will yeah. it still resonate? And how encouraging to know it's not either or. Right. That you can be listening to those kind of podcasts. Uh-huh. You know, we did an episode last week about the difference between setting goals and receiving invitations, mm-hmm. but that it's not either or, it's both and. Mm-hmm. So I'm so glad she's sipping tea with us. Okay, I have one, which of course caught my eye immediately because it says, from a South African fan. Oh, hey! <laughs> made me so happy. Shout out South Africa. Oh, the story made me laugh though. She says, Dear Lisa Joan Christie, I'll be honest. Now, let me just pause there and say that any author or podcaster or artist gets very nervous, <laughs> nervous when those right. words appear. I'll be honest. The three words that terrify you because you never know what will come after them. <laughs> she says, 
I'll be honest, when I first saw you'd started a podcast, I didn't pay attention. Another podcast, I thought, when am I supposed to listen to all of these things? And honestly, Christy and I can relate with that feeling. Yeah, we, we appreciate it's easy that. to feel overwhelmed. <laughs> it's overwhelming. But earlier this week, during an exceptionally busy day of driving from one appointment to the next, I listened to the first episode and I was hooked. I listened to the next three straight away and was so happy to see episode five in my feed the next day. I have been raving about Out of the Ordinary to all my friends because when I listen to it, it's as if I have two wonderful friends with me as I ferry my boys through the mind-numbing same everyday school routine. What I love, and please don't take this the wrong way, is that it's not the sort of podcast which leaves me feeling like I have to take notes. I'm so uh, glad she feels because that's how we we don't have notes ready when we record true. the podcast. No notes. <laughs> There's no homework with this podcast. Um, she says, although you do often say things I want to remember, like when Christy said, extraordinary is just ordinary with our stories behind it mm. or something like that. Rather, it leaves me saying, yes, that thing, they get it. It's not just me. And looking like a crazy person talking to myself in the car, it's soul food delivered straight into my heart without the usual pen and paper processing involved. Thank you for sharing your stories. This South African mama loves and relates to them from across the sea. Then she leaves a PS, my favorite part. P.S. Lisa Joe, I know you're excited about fall, but it's spring here in Pretoria, so I see your fall colors and I raise you jacaranda trees and dramatic high felt thunderstorms waking uh. me up at 2 a.m. <laughs> to listen to the rumble of thunder from under my duvet. Oh my God, homesick! Homesick! <laughs> So we cannot tell you how meaningful it has been to us that our stories are inviting you to crack open the doors of your lives and share a bit of your stories with us. So if you are so inclined, please know that we read every single review that's left for us. We um, actually, we more than read them. We screenshot them and we send photos to our husbands so they can read to That's true. what we're up to. Sometimes I read them to my kids. <laughs> it's just so fun. It feels like there's a community gathered together um, exchanging stories and it's so meaningful. So please, if you take the time to leave a review, we'd be so grateful. Another place you can find us always is on Instagram. We love it there. I am at... Lisa Joe Baker. I am at Christy Purifoy. And that's Christy with a T-I-E, not a Y at oh, the thanks. end. <laughs> Even though my autocorrect is constantly fighting with me about that <laughs> whenever I text you. <laughs> so today we want to talk to you. We want to tell a story today that's really about hope, which I know often sounds like an esoteric term. But in real life, I find hope to be a very dangerous thing and have told Christy many times over the years how much I resent hope because it scares me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm constantly afraid of hoping because you can be let down. And what do you do in the wake of being let down by hope? And so this isn't just a nebulous, you know, concept. It plays out in our real lives, our everydays in all kinds of ways. But part of how it played out for me in a story that has really, ooh, it cut close to the bone for me is this is really part two of a story we told in episode two of the podcast. In episode two, we talked about the antidote to dissatisfaction. Right. Yeah. And you shared about uh, some of the houses you've lived in. Yeah, is that our rental yeah. house story? Mm -hmm. We shared that story about this rental house. And Pete and I have been renters our whole lives until the year I turned 40. So really, that's like, I think it was something like nine houses, three countries, 
three children, (laughs) nearly 20 years of marriage. And I was 40 before we ever owned a house. And so if you haven't listened, go back and listen to episode two. You will hear how unchristian I was and how I rented (laughs) and whined to God (laughs) about my current station in life. But we turned a corner and entered a new season where it looked like there might actually be an opportunity for us to buy a house. And I will say that we you know, had come out of some years of really bad debt, and we had traveled back and forth overseas quite a lot for our works and for our families, and we'd been paying it down for a really long time. And then Peter's parents were very generous and said they would help contribute to the down payment for the house. So, you know, all these little pieces of the puzzle came together, and Pete said he thought maybe is time to look for a house now. And I was pretty trepidatious as we entered that season. I had at that point become really settled where we were in our neighborhood, in our community, in the schools my kids were going to, this little public school right down the road. We were living in Virginia, and Peter really had a vision to look for a home in Maryland because he wanted to find somewhere with a little more space in the yard for the boys. And in Northern Virginia, the market is just, it's its cuckoo crazy mm-hmm. <laughs> So we started looking at homes, which was a hard process because, you know, anytime we wanted to see one in person, we'd have to drive 40 minutes, 45 minutes from where we were in, in Virginia to come out to Maryland and look for a house. And I had very low expectations. I had been disappointed so many times in the past. I was really content as a renter. So I just didn't. I didn't expect to easily find a house or to easily fall in love with a house or for any of it to be easy. So you were just along for the ride, I, I guess. I really was. <laughs> I was just kind of like, really? You sure about that? I don't know. But Peter is my little nerd researcher husband. Mm. And I can say that because Christy is one too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Our PhDs and their nerdy research love. I love Peter. We're a lot alike. I know. He had an Excel sheet and links to all the homes mm. and evaluating the ups and downs and pros and cons. And, um, you know, we had looked at a lot of houses, I mean, hundreds online. We'd looked at many in person. And at see, we started house hunting in October and it was like February, maybe, when we found this house online. And when we saw it, we both thought, that's it. That is our house. Oh, really? Both of you right away? It was so clear. It had this huge yard. It's on an acre of land. It's a quirky sort of house. It's not your standard builder grade home. Um, So it's not in your typical suburban neighborhood. The property where it was had originally been owned by one family and they had a farm. And then they'd subdivided the farm into these scattered plots. And so all the neighbors, as we have come to learn, are related. (laughs) Live in this quirky little neighborhood down a gravel road in a little pocket of Maryland. And the property also has several sort of, I guess, sheds. I don't know which maybe. Yeah. With the potential of a she shed, but that is not what they are now. (laughs) But we saw the potential and thought, oh, my goodness, you know, we could have an office building here. We could host guests. There were fish ponds in the yard and birdhouses around the property and lots of space for the kids. And more miraculously, it was in our price range. So we're so excited. We came out to see it. There was nobody else interested in it. We met the couple. They loved us. You know, we told them all about how much the house means to us, how we want to have roots, how we want to raise our kids in a place where they can always come home to. We're not looking to move on. We we were looking for home. I, I think even when we put the offer in... I can't help myself as a writer. We wrote an impassioned letter about how much this neighborhood would mean to us. Then there we were, ready to put in our offer. 
And then there was some complication that came up about the septic system and blah, 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 right? As my seven-year-old daughter would say. And then blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Another offer came in while we were trying to respond to some questions about the septic. Another offer snuck in from another family that was much higher than ours. And despite how we had connected with this delightful couple, despite my impassioned plea for a legacy in their home, they accepted the other offer. Oh, hmm. I don't think I can adequately express or capture our level of, of just loss. Really, that's what it was, loss, because we had been so sure. Peter had felt sure that God was inviting us. Go back and listen to our episode about the difference between goals and invitations. Right. Uh, quick plug there. <laughs> But he had been inviting us to purchase a house, and we had found a house, and we had really believed it was the house for our family, and the people selling the house had seemed to feel the same way. And we had done everything right. That's what was so hard. We had got the paperwork in first. Mm. Everything had gone smoothly except for this hiccup that allowed another offer to sneak in, and they went with the other offer. And I remember the night Peter texted me, I was actually sitting with a group of our friends that if you've read my books or listened to episodes, you've heard me call the Tuesday Night Girls. We were sitting together as we do, eating chips and guac and supposed to be doing Bible study, but mostly just catching up. (laughs) And I got the text from Pete and all it said was, we didn't get the house. No, that's not right. It said they went with the other offer, which is almost more painful. Yeah. I was so shocked. I'll never forget it. I was sitting on the edge of Janice's sofa. I was had my I was leaning up against the arm of the sofa. I opened up the text and I saw it and my heart dropped. I put down the plate of snacks. I looked at my friends and I said, I can't believe it. They went with the other offer. And then I started to cry. What was so great about my friends is they didn't try to tell me it was going to be okay <laughs> or that it was going to be better or that God would fix it. They just all acknowledged that it was so awful and mm. so painful. They didn't try to over-Christianize it. You know, as Christians, sometimes we do that. We don't let people grieve. We're too quick to rush in and try and say how to fix it or how God yeah. has got some wonderful purpose. Sometimes maybe there isn't. Maybe it's just awful <laughs> and painful. You need to let that person cry. <laughs> I sat on the edge of the sofa and I cried and I was so mad. I felt so mad at those people. I was so angry with them. And I just kept thinking, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. We had this hope, a hope and a future. It says it in the Bible. Give it to me. <laughs> Give it to me. I deserve it. And um, man, time went by and you, you kind of, you keep thinking like, You keep holding on to that hope, like maybe something will fall through. Maybe we'll still get it. We didn't. It was so terrible. And I actually remember calling you and saying to you and to my friend, Anne, I had this conversation with the two of you where I said, I have to believe, I have to, that this isn't just some glitch in the universe, right? But that God is somehow involved in what just happened. Because it's too painful to walk through those kinds of losses if it's just random. Yeah. Sometimes hurts cut so deep that we just have to believe that there's some meaning. We don't always. Sometimes we can acknowledge like, okay, this this bad thing happened and maybe it's just a bad thing. But sometimes they just cut. It just has to be another a personal layer. way. Yes. Yeah. Especially if you've trusted God with your hope. You've like yeah. piled all of your hope into his hands. You yeah. We didn't held 
anything back. We're, We're very just vulnerable in those Yes, like places. here's my hopes, here's my dreams, here's my desires, here's mm-hmm. all the things I I wish for our family, God. I, I felt like I just poured all my treasure into his hand and then he just like dropped it in a hole. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing? Don't treat my, don't treat my treasure that way, God. Yeah. And I remember talking to you about it and you you talking about how how tricky hope is. I, so I remember this conversation, or at least I remember having it. I remember hearing the stories from you. I have no memory of what I might have said at the time, none at all. But I definitely remember talking it over with you and feeling like I wanted you to know that you were right to hope, but don't have this like shiny, pretty picture of what hope will feel like. Right. I think hope can be very painful. And I think hope is more gritty. That's what I realized. I used to think of hope as sort of like a shiny Sunday school idea. Right, right. Like a rainbow, maybe. Yeah. But to me, hope looks more like the face of hope to me looks more like a coal miner coming out of the dark and they're just covered in like the soot, but they have that headlamp on. Yes. That's it. Like, that's how hope feels to me. Oh, when you were talking just now and you said it's gritty, I was thinking, okay, hope in your pocket is not like something cushy and soft in there. It's like a handful of gravel yes. or something. Yes. And you would rather drop it, actually. Like, yes. Your life would feel easier right. and better and more comfortable right. if you just dropped that hope right back down right. on the because ground. Because what do you do with a God who doesn't come through when you've yeah. hoped? How do you explain him? Yeah, better not to hope at all, right? Right. That's exactly where I was at. And I just felt so mad, so frustrated, and yet at the same time, so desperate to believe that my hope wasn't misplaced. Mm. And so actually, I remember when you and I talked about hope, the story you gave me back was was related to your journey with infertility, which as oh, we know okay. is the ultimate <laughs> Yeah, maybe yeah gritty yeah. hope story. You you wanted a you wanted a house, a home for your kids, and for many years I just wanted a baby. Mm. Yeah. Do I tell that story now? Are you yeah, ready no, to hear? I think, I think we need to insert that here into okay, the middle because okay. you had lived that before Already, I was I on this experience. Yeah. And I held on to your gritty story which is really a much more desperate thing, wanting a baby than wanting a house. Yeah, I think I told you that story. I think I shared that because you were expressing to me that you had hoped in God and now you were experiencing this pain. And mm-hmm. so was so was God in this? I mean, right. Why, like, why how do I find God in the middle right. of this? And so my mind went back to a season where my understanding of it is that God actually caused me to feel more pain but because that's that's what I needed in Would that you time. Say so let me say or yeah. allowed. I think we should be careful. You? You're right. Except let me tell the story, okay, and then we'll see which, see which might be the might might be the right word. So the story is this: at, at this point, I'm living in Chicago, and I have one child, mm. and that's a whole other story. Right. <laughs> because we did not conceive that child easily mm. either. She was an answer to prayer. So here I was again with this one child who would have been about two, and I really wanted to grow our family. I wanted a sibling for our daughter. And once again, um, getting pregnant proved to not come easily. It was even more painful this time because I had discovered some health issues mm. the first time around, but I knew that were some there were some things medically that we could do. And so I had always fixed my hope on those Treatments. Ah, yes. So when we wanted to have another baby, we tried those things. They did not work. Mm. So here I was, the things that I had hoped would be our help in this 
the second time around mm. had failed us. And now what? Mm. I, I felt like I had nothing. I just had to wait. So it was a very painful time. Fortunately, I had some great friends. Uh, there were four of us. So three, three other women, the four of us were meeting maybe weekly, maybe other week, every other week at that point, just for pra- kind of like your Tuesday night girls. Right, so prayer right. and conversation. And I can remember sharing with them what I was experiencing. They prayed for me. Um, I probably shared for many weeks. These women were not mothers. Um, okay. They were about my age or maybe a little bit younger, but they had not. They were married, but they did not have children. And one week, one of these women, a good friend, shared that she was expecting, hmm. that she and her husband oh. had found out they were pregnant. And you hadn't even prayed for her to no. have this. <laughs> <laughs> she had not, as far as I recall, shared this in our group before. So we, yeah, it, it, it did feel for me like it came out of the blue. But of course, it, you know, they'd been married a few years. You know, it made sense. Right, it just, right. it, it, um, I hadn't been, you know, fully prepared for it. But we uh, congratulated her. And then the next time we met, so let's say one month later, mm-hmm. a couple weeks later, um, a second, the second woman in the group <laughs> shared. Gosh, yes. <laughs> yes, she too <laughs> was wow. expecting a baby. And I can remember at that point, of course, being genuinely mm-hmm. pleased for my friends. Absolutely. But also having a little conversation with God <laughs> where I told him, God, <laughs> I can handle this. I can handle waiting. I can handle not having. I can handle, you know, if you have something else for me, like I can handle that. But I need I need to be able to not think about babies for a while. Right. So right. why is this happening? Why am I in this like, friendship could you get it circle? Out of my face? Right. That'd right. be great. Why? Boom. Then boom. Because if I could just think about something else for a while, I could get on my with my life. I would be okay. Mm. I don't remember if I heard anything from God <laughs> after complaining that way. But the next time I got together with these women, the third no. woman in no. our circle shared that she too was expecting a baby. There are only four of you? There are four of us. Oh my word. So I sat there that day and looked at these dear women, women who I am still friends with. I love these women, you know, to this day and realized that I was the only one now who was not pregnant. Mm. And I would continue to get together with these good friends and I would watch their bellies grow and I would pray for them and their children and, you know, talk with them about all the new motherhood things. And I, I, after our, that meeting, I had a realization and this is where I come back to this idea of, um, you know, where, where was God in this right. pain? Cause it, it, it was a, a, a painful situation and that pain was made worse right. by the fact that my three best friends at that right. moment were all now newly pregnant. So the pain was already there, but it was amplified by this experience. And I think it was the coincidence of it. It was the one, two, three, mm. you know, in three meeting, three of our meetings in a row, hearing these, this news from these friends that made me feel like this wasn't just random. Mm-hmm. This wasn't just one of those hard curveballs that, you know, just come from being human, right? You know, right. being human involves right. some pain and some some ugliness at times, but it felt too pointed. Yeah. It felt too personal. Yeah. And I just knew that God was involved. Hmm. And here's where hope comes in. The thing is, if I had not been faced with that news and confronted really viscerally by the news, you know, that my friends were sharing, I could have put some distance between myself and the dream of another child. 
I could have wrapped it up in a box and set it aside and moved on with my life, mothered the daughter I had, focused on my studies, my husband, Mm. church, the other things I was involved on. I could have done that, Mm. but God wasn't letting me. Because God wanted me to have hope. Wow. He was forcing you he to was keep forcing hoping. Me, right? Wow. <laughs> and he was doing that because he knew what was ahead. He knew what was coming and he was inviting me into it. And he was inviting me into the longing and he was yeah. inviting me into the desire so that when my son was born, on my birthday, yeah. oh, my <laughs> I could say with my whole self, thank you. You had this it good gift, gift in mind all along, and you invited me into it, even way back then when it hurt, when it hurt, when mm. hope hurt. But because of the, the months of longing mm. and waiting and not having, and then the hoping and all of that then grew into something that was a very very special experience when my son was finally born. I have goosebumps. <laughs> like my whole body is goosebumps right now. I just, wow, Christy, you know, you and I have, I'm familiar with the story, right? But there's something about having it told again mm-hmm. at a later stage. And when you say you realize it wasn't random. Right. That's such a big piece of what was my story too, because that was my biggest fear is this just random? Is this Mm. just random pain? Is this Mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. random universe? You Mm -hmm, know, it's just, mm -hmm. and I, that was for me almost worse than losing the house. I desperately needed my faith to actually mean something to make sense of my universe. Were you wondering, am I alone in this? Yes. Like, is this like when I prayed and I believe God gave it to us and then it just all fell through, like, it, it, does that prove then that my belief means nothing? Yeah. That my prayer means nothing? Yeah. That it's just a, it's just what it is. It's just life, you know. Mm-hmm. People say that all the time. It's just life. Mm-hmm. I needed it to not just be life. Mm-hmm. I needed it to mm-hmm. know that there was a creator who shapes, directs, steers, mm-hmm. and loves my mm-hmm. life, mm-hmm. my tiny life in the middle of the universe. Mm-hmm. I desperately needed to know that that I mattered in that mm-hmm. way, and that it wasn't just random. So. Fast forward a little bit, Peter continues researching houses and <laughs> sending me links. <laughs> and it was kind of like it was too soon to start dating again, oh. is how I felt. <laughs> and I finally emailed him back one time with all caps, like, stop sending me links. I hate all other houses. Like, I told him <laughs> that. I don't want to see any other houses. Stop it. I'm not ready, okay? My heart is broken. I am not ready. Oh. And then, as life would have it, we all got the most apocalyptic flu we have ever had in the Baker household. I cannot even describe to you what it was like. It was a scene from the apocalypse. Oh, no, I don't remember this part of the story. The most violent stomach bug I have ever seen go through, plowed through our family. I mean, buckets and toilets on both ends is all I'm going to say, okay? We took care of those kids until, like... Like we had used up every towel, every sheet, everything was all running in the washing machine. And then I won't forget, I'll never forget. It was like four in the morning and I looked at Peter and I said, oh no, oh no. And then I ran to the bathroom <laughs> and it was my turn. It was so terrible. And I remember we had had such a bad night and we woke up the next morning And there was this knocking at the door. And, you know, we were in our rental house. I stumbled to the door thinking, who 
who could be disturbing this crime scene that we are living <laughs> in right now? And I open the door and it's a person from our rental agency who's come to do their annual inspection of the <gasps> house. I oh, kid you not. Lisa and she's Joe. trying to like barge in. I oh, put out no. my hand and I said, no. <laughs> You cannot come in. It is not safe. And she was like, what? I said, no, no, listen to me. The most violent bug ever. And can you imagine if she came in? There are literally buckets of vomit everywhere. There is vomit-stained towels and vomit-stained blankets. It was so disgusting. I was covered in vomit. I had vomit in my hair. Aren't you happy you're listening to this podcast right now? I was about to say, maybe this episode should come with some sort of warning. I know. (laughs) Do not eat dinner while listening. I'm so sorry, you guys. But it was a trauma. And she looked at my horrible, scary face and just started backing away from the door and was like, don't worry, Mrs. Baker, I'll come back another time. And I was like, good, just slammed the door. Anyway, we started to recover our children. I mean, when they went back to school, they literally couldn't get out of that house fast enough. They looked at it like we have escaped with our lives just barely. And then, you know, Peter had stayed fine throughout the whole thing. Until the very end. And then I was downstairs in my office. And let's just say I heard some noises upstairs that cued me in that he had finally also been brought down (laughs) by the most virulent bug ever in the history of the world. And Zoe was feeling better too. And so we had no food in the house. Everyone had been sick for so long. I took her with me to go out and get some crackers and soda. Mm -hmm. And we're in the car driving. I won't ever forget it. There's a chipotle on my left, which is not the food you want to eat <laughs> after you've been that sick. And my, I got a text from our realtor and all it said was, the other offer fell through. Are you still interested? Oh. I feel like I could cry. I pulled into the parking lot and texted her back. Yes, yes, yes. What do we have to do? And she said, I just emailed you the offer letter. Just sign it and I will submit it again. I turned the car around. I rode right back home. Poor Peter is delirious. He's lying in bed. He can hardly raise his head. And I'm like, just I'll sign for you. Just put your finger here. Just swipe the screen. (laughs) He's asking me questions about, you know, rates. And I'm like, I don't know. This is not the time to care. Just sign the paper, man. Just sign the paper. (laughs) And that other offer had fallen through. And this was weeks later. But I tell you what, Christy, if we hadn't had that happen, if we hadn't lost it and then been given it back, Mm I would never have been 100% sure or able to say to somebody, yes, God answered our prayer for Mm. a house and Mm. gave this one to us. Mm. I am convinced, not I feel, not I think, I know that God let that happen so that I could always tell the story about how God gave us that house. Mm. And, you know, I'm careful when I tell the story because I know many people listening are probably still renting or wondering when their time will come. Right. And for many years, that was me. All I can tell you is what I've learned is that when God gives us gifts, that is what they are. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We're mm-hmm. not entitled to it. Mm-hmm. God, in His grace and His timing, Mm -hmm. gives good gifts because He loves His children. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to get to this perfect state where we've now shown Him we deserve it. That isn't how He operates. Mm -hmm. And so, I, I remember the day we moved into that house, 
It has these big, beautiful wooden floors and the main, you know, the main living areas is kind of all the spaces in one room, right? The living room, the kitchen, the dining, it's all one space. And it was July, incredibly hot. (laughs) Sun was pouring in and we moved into that space, a 12 foot long table, a wooden table that had been made for us. And they set that table down and the movers went back out and I stood at that table And ran my hand down and I thought, there are going to be a lot of people that sit at this table. Because that's what you do with gifts, right? They help you give gifts back to others. Oh, yeah, I love that. And so the only way you can feel like it's okay for me to talk about this, it's okay for me to receive this house, is if it moves you to then give away what you've been Mm -hmm. given. Mm -hmm. And that is what I was so sure in my bones that that house is supposed to be given to as many annoying neighbor kids as come by, (laughs) to our Tuesday night home group that comes by, to women friends who come over, to friends from out of town who spend the night My goal with that house now is to tell God, I will give it away. I will give and give and give. Mm. I will keep opening the door. I won't wait till it's perfect or ready or tidy. That table now, three years later, is just covered in like the grooves of the table of just like crumbs crushed into it. There's (laughs) magic marker on it. There's scratches all over it. It has had so many hundreds of people sit around it. And every night when I go to bed and I turn the lights out in the living room and I stand at the hall door and I look out over that space, it's as if I'm unwrapping it again, this Hmm. gift that I don't deserve that God gave me. But the only way I know to receive it properly is to be willing to give it away. Mm. And it is the most amazing thing to know for sure, for sure, that God gave us that house, Mm. that my hope was placed in the right place, that it Mm. wasn't random, that it wasn't just life, that there really is a good God who's a giver of good gifts, who makes sense of our lives. That's what I needed. I needed to know it made sense. And I know that there are many seasons people live through that don't make sense because we haven't kind of crossed over where we can look back yet. And you and I, before we recorded today, we're talking about some of those seasons we're living through now. Mm -hmm. But part of the gift is that, is being able to make sense of a God who is always giving us good gifts. Mm -hmm. And so our hope is founded on something strong. There is a real foundation that we can build on. And man, it's a relief. I have to say, it's just been a huge relief to me to discover that hope is something you can trust. Mm. Doesn't make it less scary going forward, though. Yeah, I guess I, I, I thought maybe we'd end with that. Does it now when you approach new desires, new longings, and you feel called to hope, you feel that stirring of hope, you feel mm. like like someone is tugging, right. tugging on you and telling right. your heart, hope, hope. What do you feel? I'll be curious what you feel because for me, it's still scary every time. I don't know if it's kind of like you could compare it to a roller coaster. Like every time you start to go up, it feels Mm. scary, Mm. even though you know how it will end. Yeah. And I hate roller coasters, hate them. Yeah. But hope is scary for me every time. And you know this because I'm always telling you, oh my gosh, here we go again. (laughs) We're so scared. I don't know. And then the only thing that works for me is to look back at very specific stories like this one where I can say, I trusted God and I hoped in Him and His hope proved true. Hmm. But you, do you find it scary still? I do. And I find it also maybe even more than scary for me as a comfort-loving person. (laughs) 
I find it deeply uncomfortable. Yes. It's unsettling. Yeah. And I am often telling God, Lord, I would be okay without this. I could just go curl up with a book and not think about this. Right. But He wants more for me, and He wants better for me. And I am often willing to settle for just comfortable when He actually has a quite amazing story that He's inviting me into, and that's where hope comes into it. But I am not naturally inclined (laughs) in Mm. that direction on my own. But I, too, can look back and say, oh, thank you, God. You had something so, so good in Mm. mind. And um, yeah, I, I am thinking right now of the Son and His cute little freckled face and what He has meant to us all these 12 years. And um, what a good gift He has always been. Um, But even lately, I'll just, maybe I'll end with this and I'll tell you, you know, I admitted as you showed up in my house today that I was tired Mm. and it had been a long week and there's just been some heavy things. But you know what has been really great this week and even the past couple of weeks is that my son, this particular boy who we're talking about, has just been doing really well. He's just had some neat seventh grade victories like he's he just had a great camping trip and he is working on a science fair project and he's super excited about it and um we have not you know it's season right we've had some hard seasons with him and we are just in the midst of a really fun sweet season Mm. with him we're just where it's just a natural thing to really celebrate him and enjoy our time with him. And as any other parents know out there, like that isn't how it always is all the time with our kids, of course. But we're just in the midst of a sweet season with him and really feeling the goodness of the gift that he is. So it's it's nice for me now to even remember, ah, that just goes all the way back. So it's interesting to think that hope can start out gritty, but once you've believed in it, held yeah. on to it long enough. It can become a, a much more sweet and settled thing. Yeah. yeah. And I feel so much hope for for my son, who is still, he's 12, he's in process. And, you know, who knows where he's going to be headed or what, uh, who exactly he'll become. But I feel a great deal of hope. And it, yeah, that's a, it's an easier hope. It's a hope that I like to, to hold in my pocket. It's a hope that feels good. 